Happy Thursday to you, North America. The mothership has connected. Welcome aboard. It's the four-hour chaos theory kegger. DA with you from the CBS Sports Radio Studios in New York City. Broadcasting to affiliates nationwide and north of the border. Anchorage to Atlanta. New Mexico to New Hampshire, Kalamazoo, and Waterloo Way are on the air. They listening, D.A., everything we saying, D.A., everything. Thanks so much for joining us. Got a good show lined up for you coming up this morning on the program. A pair of Big 12 football coaches. College football is here. Media days, talking season has kicked up. The Big 12 has assembled in Arlington, Texas this week. We'll talk to Scott Satterfield, who takes over and inherits a stellar Cincinnati Bearcats program after Luke Fickle leaves for the Wisconsin job. And so year one of Scott Satterfield is year one of the Bearcats in a Power 5 conference. Them's some interesting roads. And guess what? Cincinnati opens up its Big 12 season It's Big 12 history at Nippert Stadium in Cincinnati against Oklahoma. Okay. So quite the challenge, quite the night, quite the season. Satterfield will join us coming up here on the show, Hour 4. Is that so? Before that, Hour number 2, perhaps the most embattled head coach in America, West Virginia's Neil Brown. People thought... He would be fired last season. He survives another year. But what will it take this year to avoid that? He is squarely on every hot seat list in America. West Virginia's Neil Brown will join us next hour. 20-minute sound check in 40 minutes of those creamsicle Bucks uniforms. And it's a thirsty Thursday. Plus... The debut of a brand new segment around here on the show. There's no telling how this goes. It could go well. It could go horribly awry. We know that the audience loves Canadian bacon. A recap with puns revolving around the NHL playoffs. What if I told you we could do puns with grass court tennis? It's British bacon this morning on the show. Oh. It's Wimbledon bacon here on the show. Boyle's got British bacon. Pop the bubbly. Strawberries, cream, puns. Oh, We'll do that coming up on the show next hour as well. All of this plus, I think we'll be interviewing more listeners for the open executive producer job. And so... Where else would you rather be but right here, right now, for the next four hours? We begin with the NFL. As Dan Snyder has found himself being forced to sell the franchise he said he would never sell, which is good news for Commanders fans everywhere. I think it might be difficult for young people say you're 25 or younger, to even comprehend that at one point in time, in the not-so-distant past, 
the Washington football franchise was a model organization that won Super Bowls. It seems so outlandish and so alien and so foreign. But between 1972 and 1991, this franchise went to Super Bowls in every decade. And won three of them, had record-setting regular seasons, and a few of those teams are considered some of the greatest of all time. The 91 Washington team is a top 10 team ever. Some might argue a top 5 team ever. And 1991's only 31 years ago. I say only, but it's not like this was grainy black and white footage. In fact, everything changed when Dan Snyder bought the franchise. And when he did, they became a laughingstock almost overnight. And so for the last 30 years, all we do is connect Washington football to dysfunction and pathetic results on the field and a fan base that has turned its back and apathy and anger and an owner that is one of the most disgraceful in sport. Finally, that may be over as he's being forced to sell. But how did we get here? Because he insisted he would never sell this franchise. Well, remember the John Gruden emails? Seth Wickersham, Don Van Nade, investigative reporters for ESPN, penned a lengthy piece yesterday which connected the John Gruden emails, the ones that featured him using misogynistic and homophobic and racist language, to the sale of Washington. And it's a really complicated, very layered story and so I'm not going to spend a ton of time picking up the minutia of it and thread by thread detail by detail because it's it's really quite confusing there's a lot of parties involved there's a lot of warring motives involved but they draw the line between the Gruden emails that obviously got Gruden blackballed and ultimately Dan Snyder losing the Washington franchise and the great comeuppance is that it was potentially Dan Snyder who lit his own fuse that blew up in his face to be forced to sell. So did Dano sink himself? It is where we begin. You're cold open. In regards to the John Gruden situation, we all respect his decisions, and we're going to move ahead accordingly. There are owners, there are four of them that Seth Worker Sham and I spoke with that say they believe Roger Goodell personally had something to do with the leaks. Goodell denied just a couple of weeks after the leaks to both the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times on these Gruden emails that he had anything to do with them. He told all the owners that in an executive session. He looked them all in the eye. And yet there are still four owners, at least that told us on background, that they don't believe the commissioner. They believe that the commissioner... Uh, had enough motive, had enough reason to do it, and I think that's the thing that surprised me the most in the reporting. I don't believe it! The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heart-rending. It's DA's top story. Here he goes! It's your cold open. Voices you heard, John Gruden's right-hand man, Mike Mayock, 
That was from a couple of years ago. And that was Don Van Nata, one of the authors of this piece for ESPN, investigative reporter on with Dan Lebitard. Okay, so here's kind of the Cliff Notes version. Way back when, a couple of years ago, remember there was the Beth Wilkinson investigation into Washington's workplace culture. And the investigation, which was supposed to give the NFL some insight into just how bad it was in Washington, was really bad. And it's not like we didn't know it was really bad, but it was really bad. And the Wilkinson investigation was supposed to lead to a massive suspension, fine, punishment, lost draft picks, perhaps even Dan Snyder being forced to sell the team. That was what was supposed to happen because she found an incredible amount of dysfunction and toxic workplace culture under Dan Snyder. And this investigation came back. There was a dossier, all of these reports, all of these witnesses, all of these sources, all of these incidents. And Dan Snyder decided to fight fire with fire. And Snyder, as Bogus mentioned yesterday in the update, had a black male PowerPoint made. And he took a bunch of emails that were sent within the league office and had his lawyers put them together and put them up on a big screen in front of the league and say, you think we're bad? You're doing the same thing. We've got this on you. Don't come at me like we're dysfunctional. You're doing the same thing. And this led to two camps in the NFL. One, a camp that was horrified at Dan Snyder for trying to blackmail them and saying, this is your problem. Don't point the finger anywhere else. Number two, a camp that was scared that Dan Snyder was crazy enough to turn this into a war of you think you got me, I got you. Okay? At this point, there's going to be some type of penalty handed down to Dan Snyder for his workplace malpractice. And Roger Goodell, for some reason, goes really, really, really light on Dan Snyder. No one knows why. Wickersham and Van Nata admit no one knows why that Goodell did not drop the hammer on Snyder when it was obvious after this report that things were really toxic in Washington. But one of the working theories is that Snyder's threat of this blackmail PowerPoint, look what we got on the league office, look what we got on you guys, was enough to scare Goodell into not doing much, which is why we all said you got all this information back and all you did was kind of make him go away for a year even though his wife is in charge and he's still showing up to events. Well, instead of Dan Snyder taking a light punishment and going away and staying dark and kind of abiding by what was a slap on the wrist, Snyder kept pushing, kept pressing, and kept wanting to be front and center of his franchise that he spent so much money on that he obviously thinks validates him. And ultimately, the NFL got sick and tired of it. Now... There's a subplot here. The subplot is, did you know, I didn't know, that Roger Goodell and John Gruden hated one another. I did not know this. But apparently Gruden and Goodell have been antagonists for a long time. 
It may have started a decade ago. And this was one of the other stories that Gruden had said something on a Monday night football broadcast about player safety and Goodell was annoyed, angry at it. And Goodell summoned Gruden into the league office for a seminar or a lecture with Jeff Fisher of all people and John Madden to lecture John Gruden on what really is going on with player safety. And Gruden was like, are you bleeping kidding me? Now, I don't particularly like John Gruden. I don't particularly like Roger Goodell. I certainly don't like Dan Snyder. So this is pretty funny because there's no good actors in this. It's just a, bad, a bunch of bad actors and villains. But now there's this internal war that is raging between all parties. And Dan Snyder may have ordered the code red. The code red being, look, we know Goodell hates John Gruden. We got Gruden emails that show him being racist, misogynistic, homophobic. Let's drop these in the media. Let's leak these so that Gruden's gotta go. Does Snyder do this to appease Goodell? Maybe. Does Goodell do this because he hates Gruden? Maybe. Does DeMoris Smith do this because he wants to gin up support for the next vote for him, the leader of the Players Union? Maybe. Because one of Gruden's emails directly racist about DeMoris Smith. Does Rock Nation do this because Rock is dealing with anti-racist messaging after 2020? Maybe. Nobody quite knows. But there's reasons to believe one or all of those parties leaked the Gruden emails. Anyway, the Gruden emails get leaked. Gruden obviously loses his job. The Raiders franchise gets topsy-turvy, even more so. And it forces Congress to start looking into Washington because these are emails sent by Gruden to Bruce Allen, who's in the front office, the right-hand man of the owner in Washington, and they start going, oh, this is really bad. And one thing leads to another, and that's the threat as Congress gets involved that finally forces Dan Snyder to sell. Anyway, it's a long, convoluted story, but here are my big takeaways. Number one, it's hard to imagine at this point in time that the NFL ever loses this chokehold that it has in American culture. But these are the types of things that make me wonder if one day there's going to be a reckoning for this entire league. Because can you have this much toxicity and warring factions within a corporation and it stay all-powerful and all-knowing? I mean, this is coaches versus owners and owners versus commissioner and owners versus owners and players union versus coaches and all of them manipulating and using one another with blackmail and emails and we've got this on you and dirt to try to one up and get people fired or removed or punished. The NFL is so big and we love football so much that it's really hard to imagine it ever not being what it is. But things rot from the inside. A nice house that you go and look at to buy that you don't know has termites on the inside of it. 
one day is going to be crumbling. You hear stories and you read stories like this and go, God, it's way worse than we know on the outside as they paint this portrait of everything is great, everything is wonderful because they're printing money hand over fist. The second part that strikes me is John Gruden was one of the faces of the league as a popular voice of Monday Night Football, a jewel broadcast, and seemingly everybody in the league hated him <laughs> or significant parties hated him. And also the simple fact that maybe karma is the best cleanser for everything. That you can't know what happens behind closed doors, but you just have to hope that karma eventually gets people. And Dan Snyder's ego eventually led to, undeniably, him losing his job, losing his the franchise. The only thing that, that made him matter. Because if he didn't refuse to change or refuse to handle a punishment or refuse to acknowledge his own flaws... Snyder would probably have his franchise still, but instead he fought it every step of the way, refused to change, wanted to fight fire with fire, and ultimately it came back to haunt him. The NFL is one of the most amazing soap operas in the world because as dysfunctional as it may be on the inside, it just keeps plowing over anything and everything in his path. And what's what's the end result of all of this ugliness? No loss of fans, no loss of ratings, no loss of revenue. And they got Dan Snyder out and they got John Gruden out. So it's like they can't lose. 855-212-4CBS or on Twitter, DA on CBS. When we come back on the show, we've got Soundcheck, your best audio of the day. Last night from the ESPYs, a couple of interesting nuggets, including LeBron updating us on his career status. DA, CBS Sports Radio. CBS presents this program in color. An educated person can't think he's going to get a recruit by uh, strippers coming in. They can fire you, but they can't eat you. And they run through our ass like through a tin horn, man, and we could not stop them. The audio you need to hear. It's DA Soundcheck. And you can listen to the DA show across the great CBS Sports Radio Network and also on Sirius XM Channel 158 every morning. Soundcheck is brought to you by Wesley Financial. Stuck at a timeshare and want out? Contact Wesley Financial Group now and get a free timeshare exit information kit at wesleyfinancialgroup.com. Last night was the ESPYs, and the Bills training staff was honored for saving the life of DeMar Hamlin, understandably so. Here is Bills trainer Nate Bresky. My name is Nate Bresky. I'm the head athletic trainer for the Buffalo Bills. I'm humbled and honored to be speaking tonight, representing the Buffalo Bills athletic training and medical staff. By the grace of God and divine intervention, we had the best outcome we could have prayed for or imagined. It was a massive army of specialists who came together on and off the field to do their jobs that night. That team includes the Bills and Bengals athletic training and medical staffs. Jamar, first and foremost, thank you for staying alive, brother. Seriously, we are so honored to be standing up here next to such a 
strong and courageous human being. So, DeMar Hamlin was only one person, but obviously captured the attention of a nation because we had never experienced a football player in the NFL potentially passing away in front of our very eyes. It had happened back in the early 70s on a non-nationally televised game, but in terms of modern football, this was not something that we had ever trafficked. So, DeMar Hamlin has this huge, huge story and, and attention on him. And it was a reminder to me, A, that these training staffs are just extraordinary. That immediately, within seconds, they were at DeMar Hamlin's side, making sure that Hamlin was given every chance to survive. And the work that the Bills and Bengals training staffs did was exemplary. But also, it just reminded me how amazing first responders are in general. Those EMTs, those medical emergency first responders, those that show up in ambulances for us, those nurses and surgeons and doctors in ER units and emergency care all across the country are just amazing. And because it happens with regular people every night at an ER, because it happens every day with ambulances racing around our country, it goes unnoticed. When it happens to DeMar Hamlin, obviously, it's it's of great attention. But just people in the healthcare industry that race to each other, race to our lives to just save us, I have nothing but incredible respect for, and certainly the, the crews that worked on DeMar Hamlin immediately deserve all types of applause, but the people that do that every single day for every one of us deserve that. Also from the ESPYs, LeBron James gave us the sense after the playoff exit that perhaps this was going to be it for him, even though I didn't believe it. I don't think many of you believed it either. However, we got confirmation last night that that was not it for LeBron. The real question for me is, can I play without cheating this game? The day I can't give the game everything on the floor is the day I'll be done. Lucky for you guys, that day is not today. Just kidding. I'm done. Oh, no. Just kidding. Just kidding. I'm not done. Yeah! <laughs> that day is not today. It's tomorrow, though. Oh, Sorry, no, guys. No. Uh, I do appreciate LeBron's greatness, but, man, is he the, the corniest person alive sometimes? And, he, boy, does he know how to squeeze everything out of every – I mean, I guess it's like this show. We squeeze everything out of <laughs> Coming up on Instagram, I'm going to release the oil boil pictures, I think, next week. How about that? Hire a new Sean in 2025. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Boy, we are really milking this producer yeah. search. We're on the Olympic cycle. But boy, wow. LeBron really milks it. <laughs> Another round of listener interviews today. <laughs> we haven't paid off bets that are like 18 <laughs> yeah. months expired yeah. now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're just holding our back pocket, DA bringing me... Six cases of Bud Light. Mm -hmm. All right, triple or nothing on the Bulls season this year. (laughs) But on a serious note, that is one thing we we need to do next week. We need to settle all bets. Oh, good point. Before Sean leaves. Because I believe 
you owe him beers from two years ago. And then still, I, I think mm-hmm. you owed him a six pack that you never brought in. And then he and you owe me beers from this past bowl season. Oh, man. I still owe him that six pack of Kona. I believe you do. So DA's paying up big time, huh? Yeah. Sounds like it. How about that? And none of the cases of beer that I brought to Bob's Bar count towards. Well, that was half. Courts towards your. Oh, that's half of yeah. my payment. Yeah. I wish I had some more of those beers. We left so many ice cold, delicious beers in that cooler. That day was just a absolute blur in the morning when, uh, like, I'm, I think it's done. We've got, like, 18 coolers of drinks, and all of a sudden, the guy from Arizona Iced Tea starts wheeling in, like, a whole truckload of stuff. I know. Hard iced tea. I didn't have any of those. I did. They were good. I also, I was trying really hard to get one of those, I don't know, like, the those, like, display coolers. Mm. The tall, skinny, almost, like, garbage can ones. Yeah. I wanted to take that as my souvenir. But who got those? I'm assuming they're in still at Bob's Bar. That's amazing. So every year we do something at Bob's Bar, Bob's just keeps stacking up all the stuff that we bring or Mm -hmm. have sponsored there. Well, Mraz probably drinks it all. Yeah, definitely. Well, I don't know if he's a spiked iced tea type type of guy. Uh, I'm sure he had one that day. I don't know if it's there. I think like me, there are days where that makes sense more than beer for Sean. There are just <laughs> days where that's the drink you should have. If there was any twisted tw- uh, teas that were brought, they were all gone by about 8 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was the potent elixir that uh, mm. caused some issues for one party goer. With the Twisted Tea. Yeah, and kudos to Twisted Tea, by the way. They've, they're have they kind of the original in this part of the industry. True. And they've stayed strong. Other things have faded away. You're right. But Twisted Tea has gone strong and hasn't really done much variation. There are some flavors and whatnot, but it's basically stayed true to its original form, and it keeps selling. They're, I, they're pre-spiked seltzers. I stand by that the Tweez, Twisted Teas, they are Tweez. the <laughs> drink of you're choice. You're such a Zoomer. They are the drink. I don't sound like a Zoomer. That's what they're called. Tweez. That's how you shorten it. Tweez. I went to college six years ago, Bogues. I'm not that young. <laughs> yeah, you are. Uh, but that is the drink of choice for me still when I'm golfing. Tweez. Oh, yeah. They're refreshing on the course. Refreshing. Go down real easy. More so than beer. Yeah, for sure. I'm not a big beer guy. Mm. A lot of empty cows. I've gained enough weight as it is. No one's having an Aquafina on the links? <laughs> huh. I like an ice-cold beer. Tweez, though, huh? And finally, here's Gilbert Arenas on the Gilbert Arenas podcast discussing, is this Zion on the podcast? Oh, okay. Zion is actually a guest on the Gilbert Arenas podcast. Let's listen in. Man... I'm a hooper, so when I'm sitting on the sideline watching my teammates and certain games they lose, I'm like, Man, I know, I know if I was out there, I can change the outcome of it. So whether people want to believe it or not, when I'm on the sideline, man, that hurt me more than anything. I'm always able to come back each summer feeling good, looking good. But I would say it's more of a just locking in on like flexibility, band work. Because I think it's those things that will be able to keep me on the court longer versus just losing a bunch of weight and then coming to play. Mm. Well, I feel good and I'm doing well. Man, it hurts me to be on the sideline. Man, I just want to hoop. Man, people think I don't care, but it just hurts me. But um, 
That etouffee is just too good, man. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> have you guys had crawfish? Like, you guys have no idea. These fried oysters down here, po' boys, man. I just love them as much as I love hooping. Like, how can you say, I love hooping, it hurts me to not play, and in the same breath say, and I show up to camp every year looking good, but oh, it's just my weight. <laughs> <laughs> So you really like eating more than you like playing basketball, basically. Yeah, there was a little bit of Shep in that Zion that you did as well. But, uh, yeah, I just he's already reneging on the diet that he apparently was going to go through. He goes, yeah, you know, if I just do, if I just stay flexible and do band work, then, you know, losing weight's pointless. No, if I have dessert before 5 p.m., yeah, it's fine. I mean, is it possible we just need to get Zion out of New Orleans? Get him to a city where the food stinks. Got to get him to a certain forbidden city. On this show. I don't know. The food around here is great. It is. I think this goes back to the whole porn star thing. There, We have to find the worst eating city in the NBA and get him there. I mean, is there a safe place? I'm just thinking of non-metropolitan areas, but like, I'm, I'm assuming there's good food in Salt Lake City. If he's a member of the Jazz, he's going to get fat. Nah. Let's get him to Salt Lake. I don't know. <laughs> No, you're right. There's, I'm sure, amazing restaurants. Or a donut shop. Whatever he needs, but he's going to find need, it. But we need a place that is not known for fatty fried foods. He can't be in the city that we're in because there's just too much pizza and Italian all over the place. Right. We can't put him in Texas anywhere because there's too much barbecue and Mexican food all over the place. Right. Oklahoma City, you get a chicken fried steak or something, he's in trouble. Yeah. Put him in Minnesota. The food there sucks. Just was going to say that. Minnesota. Well, there's... Ri- there's ri- No. Have you ever seen the Minnesota State Fair? They fry anything. Right. Oh, but that's a state fair. Keep him away from the fair. No, there's no. up there. You got a lot of like in Wisconsin cheese. too. A lot of cheese, a lot of Dairies. sausages. Yeah. Well, where are we going to send them? I like, know. That's my point. There is no safe place for a bad maybe, eater. Miami, maybe because it's seafood. Seattle because it's sushi. Well, they don't have a team right now. Then maybe they'd have to do the expansion team. Yeah. Very good, good point. <laughs> that's so, something I overlooked. Problems. <laughs> that make it worse. <laughs> So let's put that one aside for now. He won't be able okay. to play, and he's eating all the time up in Seattle. Table that suggestion until the Sonics come back. But when it happens, Portland, Sacramento? Maybe Sacramento. I don't know enough about Sacramento. Portland's got a lot of good food. You can't go to Portland. Yeah, because they have the hipster burger joints. Yeah. So Phoenix. Mexican food all over the place. Where? Indianapolis? Where can we get this guy to where he's not eating po' boys every day? <laughs> where can we where can we go to where he's not drinking gumbo out of a 7-Eleven Big Gulp? <laughs> I, I think it's Seattle. You lock him in a gym. After you get a team. Right. When you get right. a team there. <laughs> okay. No, before. Yeah. Let him get in or the gym. time travel. Either way. Let him lock up, lock him up in the gym. <laughs> Maybe Detlef Schremke in line of the old Sonics. Right. <laughs> That's what he needs. <laughs> okay, I've got the plan, Adam Silver. If we can just get Zion in the flux capacitor and the DeLorean back to 1996 and get Zion into the Sonics culture, I think we would have right. a superstar. You got Michael hands. Cage, Detlef Schrempf, <laughs> Gary Payton. All he's those, not He's not even bad with those veterans. Although Sean Kemp got fat. Yeah, that, was that after Seattle, though? I feel like that was mostly his Cleveland days. Yeah. 
Cleveland, again, not a good place no. if you want to keep somebody thin. Detroit, nope. not a good place to keep somebody thin. I mean, Orlando, I'm assuming he'd just be at Disney all the time, eating huge Mickey-shaped Rice Krispie treats. Orlando's not a bad one, except there's just a host of chain restaurants. Right. And so he's going to be walking the Disney boardwalk or yeah. doing the... Cracker barrel hit on the side of the highway. <laughs> that's, that's rough. Yeah. Waffle houses all over the place. Now, you could bring him to Seattle, and before he becomes a Sonic when they move, you can make him a Kraken. Put him on the ice. Put him in skates. You're asking a lot now. If you want him to change sports no, but that, on top of eating habits? Thick athletic uh, a way to build up your body again. Skate. So how many hamstrings does Zion pull if we ask him to skate right. for the Kraken? You can make, make him a goalie. Does he ever play? <laughs> Make of the goalie. Like Goldberg and the Mighty Ducks. Right. And that's your sound check. It does feel like we got robbed of a superstar because he just landed in the wrong city. How hard must it be to just go from your apartment to the arena in New Orleans and back to your apartment and not eat delicious, rich, fatty, fried foods? I mean, I, you think I'm... I'm getting fat living here. If I lived in New Orleans, forget it. I would already have put on the 100 pounds. Yeah, but at the same time, DA, like it's so easy. If you do have all that money, hire a personal chef right. that can make you good-tasting, mm-hmm. healthy food. He just wants to be fat. Right. I'm Trump coming to you be fat. Let me be fat. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could hire somebody that just stands next to him the entire time and smacks his hand when he reaches for a donut or a Big Mac. If you were worth $400 million like he is, you really would just hire a chef and be like, look, you just got to keep me under this weight. Right. Whatever it takes, just do it and don't uh, let me go to Whataburger. It really isn't. <laughs> it really is embarrassing how uh-huh. he can't lose 20 pounds. As much cardio as he's doing during the season and in a game, think about it. You probably burn what? 1,000 calories, 1,500 calories easy in an NBA game? I would think even more than that. Especially if all the weight he has. I mean, it's it's honestly, it is embarrassing that he can't lose weight. We should just have Taylor Swift sing her hit song, Don't Be Fat. <laughs> That's it. At Zion all day, every day. That's the collaboration 2023 needs. Every Taylor s- Swift, get Zion in the booth, mm-hmm. have him drop down some bars. And now, and then you're really holding him to it then. Andrew Bogus in Seattle. Uh, <laughs> Seattle. So for not, the Kraken. Not surprisingly, <laughs> uh, we are not done with Dan Snyder. The Washington Post reporting overnight that legal complications might affect the commander's sale to Josh <laughs> no! Harris. NFL owners oh. supposed to vote on that next week. The legal issues are connected to the elite Gruden emails from our cold open. The reports is the issues are significant. They could delay things, but... They could definitely just be Snyder and his lawyers trying to exact some last-minute concessions from the league. A Memphis judge yesterday allowed John Morant's lawyers to continue arguing self-defense against the lawsuit from a teenager whom Morant punched last summer during a pickup game at Morant's house. The next step would be an actual hearing over the self-defense argument. If Morant wins that, he could not be sued for the altercation. In regular NBA news, the Celtics are already paying one of their new toys. Christopoulos Porzingis. He gets a two-year, $60 million <laughs> extension and is now scheduled to make 96 mil through the 25-26 campaign. The new player? 
Nobody likes the MLB making schedule announcements nine months in advance more than DA. So here are the Dodgers and Padres opening next season in Seoul, South Korea. Those games will be March 20th and 21st. We are also getting the Red Sox and Rays in spring training action in the Dominican Republic. Did you say Dodgers and Diamondbacks? Uh, Dodgers and Padres. 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 Yeah. Did, you, Padres. did you like the headline I did, by the way, on the topic sheet? Sell your soul. That was good. Because when I think Dodgers Padres, I definitely think play that in soul. Uh, we're also getting, again, Red Sox and Rays in spring <laughs> I training. Think of America's pastime, I think about playing in Seoul. Mm. Santa Domingo, the Astros and Rockies in Mexico City in late April. Mets and Phillies in London in early June. Where are they? The Rockies and who? Uh, Rockies, Astros, Mexico City. Classic. Boy, Mexico City getting a classic baseball matchup. Um, which Rockies, they, Astros. <laughs> which about the last time they'll mention. Remember, they just kind of slipped those games past us this yeah, year? Yeah, right. It's like, oh, yeah, we were in Mexico this weekend. Were you? Whoa, those games count? Congrats. A, a solution for Zion. Send them to one of the international games Maybe, uh, in the NFL. Just have them watch, and, and you can't eat anything. Again, with you having him change sports, Pete. Yes. He can barely run while well, getting hurt. We, we have to change it up. There has to be a different philosophy on this because it's not working how it is now. I mean, I do believe in cross-training, but this seems to be asking a lot of a guy who has a struggle walking and running to put on skates or a helmet and shoulder pads. <laughs> Come on. And do splits. Let's go. Step up. Uh, on Sunday night in the Gold Cup, U.S. men's soccer fell behind an extra time but rallied to force PKs where they beat Canada last night against Panama. Panama, they gave up a goal in the 90th There it is. Uh, uh, Thank uh, you. Uh, uh, Panama. Panama. Uh, once again, same pattern. Gave up a goal in the 99th minute. Got even six minutes later. But this time, PKs unkind. And Karaskia scores, and Panama, for the first time in a decade, will play in the Gold Cup Final. That's, that's embarrassing, by the way. But I didn't don't, we play our B team yes, in that? Yes, At best. And, e- and even then, it's embarrassing. We shouldn't lose that game. Should not lose the game to Panama. That's pathetic now. So, now, in, in you know, as history usually does, the men have failed us, and now the women are going to probably win another World Cup here next month. Desperately need the women to save us. Uh, that was John Strong on FS1. Adalberto Carasquilla, the clincher for Carasquilla. Panama. They face Mexico in Vegas for the title on Sunday. As for the U.S., keeper Matt Turner still bummed. He whiffed on a challenge, allowing Panama to take that initial lead. We did the little things right for majority of the game, but, um, you know, a small mistake on my part. Oh, I say small, but it was a huge mistake. And uh, kind of go from here to zero, and then the team picks me up and then uh, gets into penalty kicks, and we, we didn't get the job done tonight. I do like going from I made a small mistake to I made a huge mistake within microseconds. Yeah, and then can you use hero to zero on yourself? <laughs> no, I don't you think can't, so. right? No. Uh, the U.S. men, their next game, friendlies in September. That U.S. Women's World Cup begins later this month. Uh, I think the 21st is their first match down under. And WNBA mm. last night, don't wake up the dream. Six straight wins. Nice. 85-75 over the storm last night. That's Diego, good. Back to you. When we come back. I get lathered up over the creamsicle Buccaneers uniforms. DA, CBS Sports Radio. It's the DA Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right. Happy Thursday to you, everybody. You can always watch us on YouTube and on Twitch and at watchda.com. Yesterday, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers released a sizzle reel hype video with... 
debuting the return of their creamsicle uniforms. They'll play them. They'll play in them coming up this season at least once. I think maybe only once against the Detroit Lions. And I will readily admit that I'm a prisoner of nostalgia when it comes to these uniforms and other things in sports. But I really do also believe that they're very aesthetically pleasing. And I know that they were ridiculed throughout history, probably for not being macho or aggressive enough. I mean, it's a winking pirate who's got a knife in his mouth and flowing hair. And the colors are orange, light orange, creamsicle orange, red accent, and white. And so not exactly the most imposing silver and black type of uniform. And they're known as the Buccaneers instead of the Bears or the Giants. But I really do think they're beautiful. I really, really do. And I think maybe part of it is nostalgia, but part of it is being unique. And I think that part of sports branding has been lost. You know, the Buccaneers debuting these uniforms in 76 were quite seismic because at the time, football uniforms are the Eagles, the Giants, the Cardinals, the Cowboys. They are two colors, standard logos, standard helmets, and the Buccaneers come in and they got a winking pirate and they're orange. And it's like, whoa! But it was meant to be that way. And I think about the Padres with brown and yellow. And there, there came a point where that was that was too boring or too gross or not cool enough. And ultimately, we came around to, no, brown's cool because it's unique. Who else has brown as their main color? And the Padres have embraced it again, and the fans love it. And it's unique is not the City Connect uniforms that are just loud and crazy to be loud and crazy. It's what is your consistent brand? And if your consistent brand is different, that's actually good. It's a good thing. It sets you apart. And I think the Buccaneers, when they redesigned in 01, 02, I guess it was, or maybe a little earlier than that, late 90s, it was fine, but it just made them kind of another football team. When you see the creamsicles, it reminds you of something completely different. And so I love them. I think they're awesome. I can't wait to see them again on the field. 